0: Welcome to another podcast from Inforum, an innovation lab at the Commonwealth Club of California. Get tickets to upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash Inforum. Want even more Inforum? Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at inforumsf. And now here's our program. Welcome everybody to today's virtual Commonwealth Club program. I am Gary Vaynerchuk. First, I wanna thank the Bernard Osher Foundation for today's Good Lit event. I am so excited for this because I get to introduce one of my favorite people out there running around the world, Bose St. John. She is the author of The Urgent Life, My Story in Love, Loss and Survival. Now, before we get going, I want everybody here who's watching to know that we want questions uh, all lined up and have it ready in the chat. And so please be a part of this. But you're in for a real treat because this woman is nothing short of a supernova. I've watched from afar and sometimes up close on the journey that she has been on. And it is my great honor to be with all of you. And I'm excited to be here. Bose, how are you?
1: Oh, thank you, Gary. I'm feeling all emotional already, okay? Bye. like my emotions are all the way up here, so I so appreciate what you just said it's um it's It's so fantastic to be in conversation with you. you know obviously, it's like look we're we're friends um and this very moment in time, it is a really scary <laughs> feeling to put all this vulnerability into the world, so I'm honored that. You agreed to be a part of this so that we can have a very open conversation, you know, and uh, yes. feel safe in it. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Um, I really want to get into a lot of stuff. Actually, before I even get into the book starts with a quote, I really want to talk about that. But even before that, I was about to go there, but I'm, instead of an appetizer, I'm going to go with a moose boosh because you said something. <laughs> what What propelled you? to want to go so vulnerable in a time where vulnerable was always hard, Mm. but emotions are sky high across the board in our country, in this world. Yeah. What made you want to go there?
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, I think there's a number of things, you know, the, um, as, as my success has been documented or, you know, awards come and those type of things, it started to feel like, you know, the, that as if like there was an understanding that, um you know, we're all human. Sometimes I feel like leaders, it's like almost like you're living in some sort of like brick and mortar, I don't know, compound. <sighs> where there's no, you know, human back there. No emotion. A.K.A. No problems. Everything was yeah. great. Everything it was, so was so easy fine. to get
0: here. And yeah. if I make fun of you, you're not going to feel it because you have it it's so good.
1: That part, you know, it's yeah. just, just yeah. start to feel like that. And I was just like, wait, hold on. Like, and and I remember once that uh, I was actually in an interview, and somebody said to me, they were like, "Gosh, you know, I, at the end of the, your career, you're going to be so celebrated for all of your accomplishments." you know, all these things that you're racking up. And I just looked at them in such confusion because I was just like, wait, but like, no, that's that's actually not it. Like, I, I don't want to be celebrated that way. I want to be celebrated for the things I've overcome. Mm. You know, like I, I've overcome a lot to get to this place. This is not, there's been no silver spoon. There's been no smooth path. It, even the difficulty for a black woman to get into any kind of corporate spaces, it's not even just that. You know, it's like everything else that has been laid on top. It it was it what
0: we're about to go into in this incredible hour. It's not just the things that all of us can see. Correct. By the way we look at you. That's right. If we're logical and awake to scenarios, we're like, man, she really did it. Being a black woman in America during this time—that's that's that's hard. That's hard in
1: and of itself.
0: Right. You're talking
1: about what we're about to go into. A lot of real life stuff that was
0: real, real, real hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it just felt to me that, like, you know, we don't have enough of that. We don't have enough honesty and vulnerability and truth, you know, from people who are supposed to be leading big corporations or companies or movements or organizations. You know, there's not enough
0: truth. Do you think that this is an interesting question you just spurred up? Do you think that's a double edged sword where the human, the you, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. me, the many others out there that live a life that looks like this, that we both understand that if we go with like, well, you don't know how hard it was to get here, that the person on the other side can only see where we're at, and mm-hmm. that's not going to land, so that's not productive, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and there's a level of us not spending time on explaining it either, because we're moving and building and helping along the way as well. And so it becomes this thing where like on both sides, mm. you don't feel overcompelled to go there. Do you think it's the double side of that? Mm. Which is why so many people don't do it because you're like, it's not going to land with a lot of people anyway, plus all that energy to defend it or explain it or or give clarity to it. Mm-hmm. If I deploy that against helping people or helping continue to achieve what one wants to achieve, do you feel like that person... Who you are very much one of, that's why they end up not being vulnerable and spending a lot of time and effort
1: on. That that is probably very true, you know? But I I wish we would get over ourselves. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, stop thinking so much about like how you appear. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. It's like, why are we so concerned about that? Everybody wants to talk about living life unapologetically and like, oh, you know, it's like nothing bothers. Well, no, 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 things bother you. Because you're so concerned about, like, you know, whether or not somebody's going to think that your pain is worthy. Sure. You know, and that's the thing that I think is so maybe misguided and incorrect about the way that we communicate these days, you know, as if like we're in competition with each other on who has the most pain. Yeah, like, where, where did we yeah. get that? You know what I mean? And that's, if, by as the way, if, I mean, as, as if we could score pain, right? As, as if, if we could score pain. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, it's interesting because even in writing this book, I mean, I, again, all honesty and vulnerability, like I, I thought for a minute, I was just like, gosh, I wonder if people are going to look at, at this and be like, God damn, she's been through a lot. Like, oh my God, is she all right? You know, it's like, no, I'm not all right. I'm not all right. <laughs> you know, like I'm right. I'm not all right. I've I've had a lot of things go on and that is why I think I'm a more empathetic human because of the things I've been through, but this is not a competition. You know, it's like, I don't believe in comparing grief and being like, oh, this person's hurt so much. And that person has hurt just a little bit. Who's the score of that? Before, I'm getting off a tangent, but you know, when you,
0: when you asked me to do this, you knew it was going to go in all sorts of directions. <laughs> so stick with me. Yes. Um, I wanted that. <laughs> yes, I figured the others could go standard so we can get to some stuff that is yeah. a little, you know, do you feel that work was an outlet for you, mm. pain? Do you feel like your professional yeah. career is this successful because it mm. was a safe place from your real life? Mm. And then thus, since it was a safe place, because you were so darn good at it, mm. you put in the time, the effort, and it became a safe place.
1: That's a really complicated question. Um, gosh, that's so complicated. Right. Because what's I so haven't...
0: fascinating about that question is yeah. again back to who you are. Yeah. Everyone's like, man, work must have been real tough for Bose to climb up the ladder the way she did, mm. the way she looks. Yeah, I, when I started getting under the hood here, and even in the first 15, 10 minutes here, especially because I come from an immigrant background where I think a lot of immigrants really used work as a safe place to all the pain they had, especially in the 50s, 60s, mm. 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. I would even say to me, work was always a safe place where no matter what was going on in my life, that nine to seven, that nine to eight, I didn't say nine to five because it was safe. So I got that six, seven, eight, nine. Do you feel like even though on paper, it looks like work was a tough place for you to navigate, given that you're going Mm -hmm. through real stuff in your life, do you think work because of the talents you had ended up being an actually safe place?
1: Yeah, I say that that's really complicated because um, I've never felt safe at work. Mm. You know, I've, ne- I've never felt comfortable, even though I know I'm talented, even mm-hmm. though I'm really good at what I do. It it was always still a battle, you know, to like just have a voice and to be seen and even with success and I, and success is even like relative. You know what I mean? It's like, what does success actually mean? You know, it's like, is it successful because of the titles I've had? You know, am I successful because of like what looks like an unscathed career? Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
0: Like I don't even, know. to your point that I think a lot of people may miss is when you're the CMO of these fancy places, there's still the CEO. There's still the CFO. There's still the COO. Yes. On a good day, you have the fourth biggest title in a
1: big room. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Gary, there are still the people on your team. Who sometimes correct. don't want you to win. Including so, the people I mean, report, the people reporting to you and correct. struggling with that. Correct. I have a problem with reporting to a black woman. Yeah. There's that too. So, you know, there's it's layered. So I think to some degree, I think my pain just shifted. You know, it's kind of like leaving the office and escaping that pain so that at home I didn't have to think about it, but I was just dealing with a different pain. And then leaving what, home. What, what made it, so, again, I apologize to the crowd because this is what happens when you get friends
0: together. I'm <laughs> on my own journey here. I apologize for completely wrecking this. But, and I know we're jumping way ahead. We'll come back and create some context here around Good. what pain we're talking about. Yeah. But where did you, fi- in that double pain, where are you finding comfort? Yeah. Where, how are you making double pain sustainable?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think that's part of the journey that I, that I'm talking about in the book, you know, which is like, love to me is not just like the love of other people or love of work or love of even life It's love of myself.
0: Of course. So it's
1: like this, this to me, it's like, you know, I dedicated the book to my daughter. I love her very much. You know, I want her to know me as a human, but um, really the book is a love letter to myself. Good for you. It's like, look, I, I, I survived these things, man. Yeah. You know? Now I didn't say I survived them whole now. Okay. Cause again, we're doing truth and honesty here. I didn't say that like, Oh, look, I, everything is beautiful and perfect. You know what I'm saying? I'm wearing no, a su- no flower such crown, but that don't, that don't mean everything is coming up roses. You know, no, it's su- like, no no
0: such thing for the human journey. No, exactly. There may be, there may be a good day. There might be a good month. There may be a good yeah. year. There may yeah. be a good decade. But when you are a human and you love, there's going to be pain. Yeah. It just, there is no
1: one who went the 90 years and was like, now it's easy. Exactly. Like everything was smooth. But I think to your, to your original question, it's like, you know, we are all, we're all managing things, you know, whether it's constant or it's one year or, you know, one bad day it's like, there's something going on, but we're not, we're not actually talking about it, you know? and. It wasn't until I started opening up about what I was going through, even though that was also very scary, right? Because there's rejection. You could feel like people are going to be like, "Oh, she yeah. just wants a pity party." Judgment. And why is she complaining? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, suck it up, do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it really wasn't until I opened up that I found support. You know, Makes even sense. with colleagues. Makes even sense. With colleagues.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's go into it. Let's give people some context here because we're off and
1: running. (laughs) The the book starts out with a quote. Why? Mm. Because it was the first time that Diane Ackerman, who's an author who I quote in epitaph, um, it was the first time I'd seen somebody articulate how I felt I wanted to live my life. So I'll I'll paraphrase it, right? What she said is, um, I don't want to get to the end of my life and find that I've just lived the length of it. I want to have lived the width of it. And I just, that just blew my mind because I was like, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, we're all like eating well and doing meditation and drinking water and doing all these (laughs) things so that you can like have long years, right? That's what everybody says, like live a long life. Like that's hashtag goals, long life, you know? Somebody passes away when they're 95 and we're like, oh. They lived a nice long life. How do you know that their life was was full of anything? Like, was it did it have the width in in the life? You and know, the,
0: and, and the and the width, the width for me, definition wise, is not necessarily the width that you and I optically have had in our professional lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With yeah. when I hear you say that, and when I've seen that quote, for me, width means happy. Yes, you know what I mean. Like, like yeah. again you know, for me being an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. very scary for a lot of people, but I didn't have to deal with what you did with, there's somebody who could say you don't work here anymore.
1: Right? The world (laughs) could say that
0: the world could say that, which is what's scary about being an entrepreneur. The the whole thing says you can't (laughs) go out of business. But I think when you say with, it's not about traveling the world and seeing it all uh, unless I, unless, uh, unless that's the single thing on earth that makes you the happiest. Right? It yes. doesn't mean that you golf and sail all the time and it's leisure unless mm-hmm. it's the single thing that makes you happy in the world. To me the if the if the individuals watching this leave with with means fight for happiness mm. on your definition of happiness. Mm well, then then this interview was worthwhile.
1: Yes, I, I completely agree because it really does need to be filled with things that are going to make you satisfied in your life, you know? I think yes. that's for me what um, I have learned, you know, which is that, yes, of course, we all want many, many years and we all, you know, grieve when you hear of somebody who didn't get a chance to live a long life, you know? But I think my goal for my life it's to be able to live in such a way that should it come to an end anytime soon, no, regrets. I would be really satisfied yeah. with what I've done. You know, really I, I think about this
0: all the time. A 27-year-old who who mm. just devastating for someone like that being taken off the earth, yeah. living a dramatically more fulfilled life than a 92-year-old. That I mean, I have yeah. relatives who grew up their entire lives in the Soviet Union mm. You know, before we were able to leave. And because of the culture there and the nature of that country and then their own DNA, because I know a lot of people that had jolly DNA from the Soviet Union. But Mm -hmm. I personally know very close family members who I can speak to living 80 and 90 years, Mm -hmm. very unsatisfied, very anxious, Mm -hmm. very jealous, very envious, very challenging
1: lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's just it. You know, it's like, look, we can all think about maybe our own lives or people that we know around us who are put in circumstances that are not ideal. Yes. Right. Um, and I think that's also part of this, which is just like, look, not everything in your life is a choice, right? Things happen to you or in your situations that are not great. Yes. You know? And so the question is like, well, how are you still going to live a life that has with, even within those circumstances? And that is what I've, le- I've learned in the urgent life. Really.
0: Let's go into chapter one then. Yeah. You wrote that Peter's upbringing loomed in stark contrast to mine. Give us all who Peter is, what that meant because that's the thing that stood out for me.
1: Yes. Well, Peter was my husband. Um we met while working. <laughs> office <laughs> romance. So I was working in New York at uh, for Spike Lee's advertising agency which was a um, joint venture with DDB, which is a huge advertising agency. It's like what Mad Men was, you know, made after and all of that. So the entire building was like DDB. And then Spike had his little, you know, like <laughs> a fiefdom on the third floor where the black people were. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and Peter worked at DDB. So the cafeteria and, and I think like the mail room were the only places where we actually like intermingled. Mingled. Yes, that's right. So Peter and I met uh, in the cafeteria. I know very romantic, very, very luxurious. You know, Susan, you know
0: uh, I'm an advertising agency. And for the last 13 years, the p- predominant amount of people that have worked here have been under the 30 years old range. So oh. I've seen plenty
1: of plants plenty. in the cafeteria. I know exactly what that looks like. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, I um. I I was struck by him because he was so bold. First of all, in asking me out, which I was just like, who is this like tall white man who's (laughs) like wearing a gold chain? Like, why does he think that he even has a shot with me? You know. And to make a a long story short, uh, which is which is all written in great detail, uh, I challenged him to read Toni Morrison' Song of Solomon, which is my favorite book, my favorite author. She's very, very difficult to read, you know, She's a Black woman who talks about the Black experience in very unapologetic ways, very, very deep. Like she makes you rise to the occasion, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I challenged him to read it. And I was surprised when he did and had thoughts about it that we could actually discuss. So just
0: for everybody here, because I know everyone's going to get the book and then some, but for the interview, you, he asks you out and you say, not until you read
1: this book. That's correct. Yeah. Because I was just like, hey, because like, he wants to get to know me. And I was like, well, you could get to know me by reading this book.
0: Thank, <laughs> thank God that wasn't my journey because my reading comprehension is so bad. It would have taken me 12 <laughs> years to ask you out.
1: <laughs> so he's able to read. And yes, he he's able it. to read. He has he great comprehension. He, he does it. He does um, it. And, and in our discussions, I mean, look, Peter, I think is like most white americans that he wants to have a diverse you know friend group and doesn't consider himself or didn't consider himself racist by any means or biased by any means but that just wasn't the world he operated in you know it's like he didn't have any black friends he didn't know any black people really you know besides a couple of people he worked with and um i was very surprised by how much our cultural differences st- Like they were vast being, like you said, you're a child of immigrants. So am I. Peter um, was a second generation American. So his parent or his grandfather came from Italy or his grandparents came from Italy. You know, so we understood that. But that's where the similarities kind of ended. You know, it's like, look, being a tall, good looking white man in the United States of America, is a very different experience from being a black woman in America.
0: An attractive black woman in America. Well, some, you know, if you're giving Peter dabs, give yourself some. I have to say my flower crown helps. <laughs> <laughs> so what, yeah. what, what happened there? Like what, um, what, what should we touch yeah. on that before we go into, Yeah, because um, I really want to talk about your, your Ghanaese father's, dreams in in chapter two? Do we want to leave chapter one for
1: now and come back to it? Well, I think all I will say on that part is that, you know, I think especially in today's age, you know, we talk so much about diversity inclusion and, you know, our relations as people of different ethnicities in the, in especially the U.S. um, But we don't talk enough honestly about what that actually means. You know, it's like, look, there were many times when I was pretty off at Peter for his whiteness, even though I was in love with the man, you know, that like he could really move around anywhere he wanted to without question. And and later on in the book, I talk about a trip we took to Ghana, you know, where I obviously I wanted him to see the country and like enjoy the culture and all that. But it was such a complicated trip for me because at the same time that I wanted him to go and enjoy the culture, I also wanted him to feel otherness. I wanted him to feel how I feel when I'm walking around these streets. You know, it's like, this is, this is my home. America's my home yet. I don't feel comfortable outside, you know? And I wanted him to feel that. Was that achieved or was he? No, it was not. I'll I'll tell you why
0: I asked that. (laughs) I am aware that I'm a white male, but the luxury of not being born in this country Mm-hmm. And then going to Martin Luther King Elementary School.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: not only did I go to Martin Luther King Elementary School, we had incredible amounts of Indian and Asian. It was just, it's crazy when I look at my, I, I, I found my second grade picture a couple of years ago and I was like, ah, this is, you know, you have the, uh, like the luck yes. of growing up in diverse. I mean, I, I, mine was like most people I know if, consider diversity like two groups of people my entire childhood was like seven. Right. And so like, to me, I, I, uh, I, I'm on the board of Pencil Promise. So I've been to Ghana um, and, and, and really take me anywhere. Singapore, Ghana, Korea, you know, Mm -hmm. Finland. Notice how I asked you that question. Was it achieved? I don't, I didn't get the luxury of knowing Peter, but for me, I'm just in it right away. And, And some people are fortunate that way, even if they didn't grow up as, with as much diversity as yeah, I did. Yeah. And
1: so what he then, was just like, and were you, were you like, God damn yeah, it? I was, I was really off because the thing <laughs> is that, like, look, the truth of the matter is that, you know, there's just, there are just allowances given to white people. I see. So it wasn't, it wasn't that he was no. so great at, conforming or feeling it he was he was that people it was that people were so gracious to him correct yes that's that's the difference i'm talking about that like he yes exactly exactly like that you know it's just like look nobody looked at him crazy right nobody nobody said get out of here welcome welcoming even welcoming him you know Mm -hmm. nobody said like what are you doing here you know no one looked at him askew when he walked into a store like mm. if it was curiosity, it was loving curiosity. Whereas yes. I never walk the planet with that privilege, ever, anywhere. Yeah. Not in America, not in Europe, nowhere. You know? And so I think my point is that um I was really not in for- I apologize. Yeah. Not in not in Ghana? No, because in Ghana I'm You were too, too American? American. Well, absolutely too American. Yeah, of course. When I open my mouth, it's over with. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's done. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Russians, <laughs> Russians really make fun of me when I try to speak Russian. Yeah,
1: look. It, like, get yeah. out of here,
0: American boy. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> exactly. I exactly. you vodka. I'll see you later. You know, I get it. Let's let's move on because I don't want to run into so much here. Let's yeah. talk about this. You talk about tearing the hopes and dreams of your father. Mm-hmm. And to me, this really resonated given my yeah. background. So let's talk about that.
1: Yes, yes. Well, my father had four daughters. I think like most uh, African men and maybe other cultures um, of that era, he was hoping for a son to carry on his name. And when that was not going to happen, (laughs) he was like, okay, you girls are going to do with it. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And he was pretty severe about it, you know, but the thing Gary that um, I didn't even recognize. And I, I say this in the book, which is like, I didn't even really know to be honest with you until I was in my 20s. Like, where my hopes and aspirations began and where his ended. You know, mm. I just, I just assumed it. Oh, I just I took it. it. I just took it on, you know, and said, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what he wants me to do. That sounds good. I'm going to do that. Didn't want to did disappoint you, did him. You, did you use the word we a lot? Yes. 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 I, mm-hmm. yes. We, we, we,
0: it was absolutely. Remember, it was. We're going to build this. We're going to do it. Yes, it's, yes. Immigrants have a real
1: weeness to it that yeah. is very heavy. Yes, yes, very, very heavy to carry, you know? And being the eldest, I often heard like, you know, you gotta set a good example for your sisters. Me? You know, you gotta you, 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 like, Yeah. It's like don't it. don't ruin it for everybody. <laughs> you know? so like how could I feel like I could break out and try something new? Take a risk. Like there, there was nothing like that, you know? So it showed up in all kinds of ways, whether it was the career I was gonna have. You know, so for that reason, I was pre-med. Oh, yeah, grades. Grades weren't even a question. It's like, look, you had to have good grades. But it's like, when I got to college, I was pre-med because my dad wanted me to be a doctor. Um, And even though I was like, sure, yeah, I guess I can, you know, because I happened to be good at science and math. And it was not a problem. So I was like, okay. And then... Yeah, but the thing is that like I was really in love with African American studies and English and poetry and music and like all these other things. So, Gary, I didn't say like, oh no, I'm not gonna be a doctor. I said, Oh, okay, I'll I'll do pre-med and I'll add and, these other things. And and I'll add these yeah. things. So it wasn't until it wasn't until really Peter, <laughs> that was really the first time I defied my dad's wishes. Like when he, I, did he did he want you to ha- marry an African man? Oh yes, of course, African or American I mean, or, or or an American who was black? Not not even no. He was he was more narrow than that. It wasn't even that like an African, he, a Ghanaian person. Yeah, and so it's like you know, for all the really Americans who no are option.
0: watching, for all the Americans watching, there are fifty three countries or so in Af in the continent of Africa. I yes. know. We need, that's something that the U.S. needs to get a little bit better at. So when you're saying that, that lands with me, with my micro education
1: above the norm, that that he went even more narrow. Oh yeah, even more narrow. But the thing is that like, I, you know, love has a way of making you brave sometimes, you know? Oh, it sure does. It really does. And that was the first time when I was just like, no, I really like this guy. And I think I want to live with him. (laughs) My dad was like, you want to what? (laughs) Uh, absolutely not and that was the first time I defied anything he had to say it wasn't like imagine that like I carried a full course load of pre-med I carried all of my like African American English studies and poetry and doing dance and all this stuff hell I was throwing parties for Lin-Manuel Miranda in college I was doing all that stuff and I never said no not until I met Peter
0: let's talk about right before Peter right before pre-med the health scare at the end of high school
1: Yes. Yes. So um, thank God for TV. You know, this is why I'm not mad when people are like, do you watch television?" And I'm like, yes, it is a good tool. Okay. Because I was watching Beverly Hills 90210 when Brenda, a character in the, in the show had to do a self breast exam and it was their way of educating about breast cancer. And I got in the shower and did my little exam and felt a lump scared what? out of me i had no i literally was just like what the hell like where it was like it was literally like i felt like i was in the show or in the movie you know what i mean it didn't feel like real life because when does somebody do that and actually feel the thing that they told you to feel you know mm-hmm. um and so i had to have a procedure you know to have it removed they tested it. thank god it wasn't cancerous but it really screwed me up you know because it was the how, first time long, i thought of
0: yeah, I, I apologize. How long between you felt it and you getting the ability
1: to exhale because it wasn't mm. what it could have been? Do you recall? You know, Gary, that's an awesome question because I don't think I ever exhaled. Interesting. I don't think I ever exhaled. You know, because it was like to this it day. Like somebody, it was like somebody telling you that the boogeyman exists and then you see it. And then it goes away, but you've seen it. <laughs> and you know that's real. Like it's yes. not a fake. It wasn't nobody's story. You know, you know it exists. It may not be in front of you right away. It may not even be in front of you every day, but you've seen it. That's what mm-hmm. it was like for me. And it is still like that for me. And so every time it has been proven true, whether it was because my mom got cancer, and then obviously in the book, Peter gets cancer. The boogeyman is real. I've seen it. Right. So I don't, I- I've never exhaled. You have that, and then,
0: you, you. so you have this scare, now you go to college, you're yeah. doing all the things daddy wants you to do, which is, at the time, you don't realize how much pressure that really was, Yeah. but it's there, Yeah. and then you have a major event with Ben, your college boyfriend.
1: Yes, yes. Who also. also, by the way, Ben, and then... Yes. Ben, Ben was, Ben was a white boy too, but he acted like a black boy. So, which was great. <laughs> so he was different, right? He, he was had, different. He was he totally had more different. swag. You understood oh. him. Oh yeah. You knew, yeah. He had you, him. you knew why he liked you. Man, Ben had all the swag, you know? And by the way, Ben was a complicated man. He was, uh, his, his mom was American. His dad is English, um, but grew up in Geneva speaking French. Mm. And then he comes to Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut, and is a hip hop head and is mm. like rapping it at battles and winning them and sweeping the floor with black boys from Brooklyn. You know what I'm saying? Like mm. it was just, it, he was a complete so ben, anomaly. Ben, ben, ben didn't have to do much to get your interest. Oh no. I saw Ben <laughs> perform one time and I was like, <laughs> yeah, like him. That's correct. You know? And, and Ben and I, like we shared a lot of things, you know, it wasn't just like the love of hip hop, um, and blackness, which he like had assumed it wasn't like his, but he assumed it. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, on the darker side, we shared depression. You know, mm-hmm. I had been, I had been battling depression, uh, since like my senior year in high school through. through did, my you, college did, did you know that that was the word? Um, yes, I knew that was the yeah. word because I was put on medication I you see. Know? and so I was being treated, but you know, it's like, again, love, love, love has a, you know, big influence. Like Ben, he was depressed, but he didn't, he didn't want to recognize it. He didn't want to go see anybody for it, but I could, I could recognize the signs, you know, and I knew he had trouble, but he was the one who would say things like, you don't need that stuff. You know, it's just going to mess with your mind. It's going to muddle you. And the truth of the matter is that like, I did feel muddled on the medication. You know, it took the highs and the lows off and just left me somewhere in the middle. And it wasn't like a nice feeling, but I really hated the valleys. And so I didn't want to be in them. Whereas Ben was, you know, at least now I know better. But at the time I thought, oh, he's just a creative. Strong. you know, So he needs the valleys in order to create art. I see, right. And it, it felt that like was, that's, that's such okay. A, that's such a powerful call out. The reason mm-hmm. I asked you is,
0: you know, I'm 47. And the word was just not being thrown around. Like, if anything, the word I recall in the late, in the mid 90s was moody. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and like, now I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't moody. No, exactly. Challenged. And then, and then to your point, we kind of, cheered
1: and put a pedestal on creatives who would go up and down mm, yeah exactly like i was look some days he would like disappear and he'd be in bed all day and not talk to me and not you know engage and i was just like oh he's just you know he's just in his he's space
0: yeah
1: yeah he's an artist you know and but mm-hmm. that's not healthy and now i i know that better obviously but tragically ben um Ben was was just very, very ill, you know, and I I wish I had known. And to be honest with you, Gary, it's like I I think about that all the time. You know, I think about him all the time in that uh, when he decided to end his life, I had so much guilt and so much regret. And to, to some degree, I think, you know, I haven't wholly and totally forgiven myself either. For not being more, for not doing more, for it's, not saving it's
0: the, him. It's the thing that in this world, that is one of the few things that really I struggle with the most, which mm. is the guilt. Yeah. That people put on themselves in a situation that is 100% not winnable.
1: Yes. Yes, You know,
0: absolutely. I'm yes. so, there's there's a part of me that's so creative, so, so weird, great, but there's so much practicality when it comes mm-hmm. to oceans from mm-hmm. me, to me, mm-hmm. with me, in my own head. And this one is really hitting me in my chest for a couple different reasons right now. Not that I've felt personally, but people that I care about feel, mm-hmm. and I watch it. Sometimes I'm very close to watching it. And it kills me because there is no win on that. Yeah. We oh. mu- you know, there's a part of me that, Very, yeah. that we ha- we have to start building real conversation in the way that we now yeah. about depression, about alcoholism, about drug use. We're gonna have to start an entire new conversation for the people that are left behind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We must yes. control them. This concept of any level of guilt is completely and utterly unacceptable we must stand up as a society and start building a narrative for them because no no one not parents not best friends not lovers can you just can't get that deep into the head it's just
1: i'm so glad you said that because um i feel like there's a few communities like that that often get forgotten you know whether it is you know yeah those it 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 feels like always those left behind you know Um, I remember feeling that way when Peter passed away. That um, I was like, "Gosh, where's the community for widows?" You yes, know, where, that, where's the community? one? But
0: that one you're hearing about, and 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 parents of suicide you're hearing about, but mm. there's there's the rest of the crew. Yeah, the exactly. guilt is it's enormous and something completely un. Uncont- you know, I remember thinking people that let their friend, you know, I grew up in the drunk driving era, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, like all this and like friends that let friends drink. Like right. the, it was enormous. Right. That's what I grew up with in high school, junior high, a friend yeah. that like didn't take the keys and then the kid dies. Right. And that was oh like my God. Rushing. Yeah. yeah. But at least Man. that one, at least that one is like optically in your face. Yeah. <laughs> yes
1: but it's still like what a yeah, terrible difficult, right difficult. like but, terrible but,
0: guilt all right we're getting we're getting sidetracked i'm looking at the i know clock.
1: we're look but we're having, we're having all kind of too conversations.
0: Conversations. <laughs> um this really caught my attention
1: mm. i
0: always i was always impulsive one lacking the patience if i had a craving i wanted to taste it mm. you talk about your relationship with peter in chapter five talk to me about what, that
1: yeah Well, I mean, I remember someone asking me once if I've always felt urgency, you know, and I was like, yes, I guess I have, you know, but it wasn't urgency meant something different, you know, so it ambition. Yeah, it was, I would call it impatience. Was it curiosity? Yeah, curiosity, but mostly impatience, mostly just like, I just didn't want to wait. You know, I was like, look, why? because i just i don't think i'm just built that way you know where i just like on this
0: one i think this can help people yeah did you feel was it overconfidence and you self-love and you were like i don't need to wait seven minutes in the micro was it macro things based on Hmm. curiosity and ambition you know was it entitlement believe it or not because you know sometimes that sneaks in in certain micro situations what was it yeah
1: I, that's a very, that's a really good question. Like to go deep into it. Um, I mean, it could stem from, you know, even childhood, right? I think most of, most of the things we deal with stem from childhood, you know, where it's like, my parents moved around a lot when I was a kid. And so there wasn't just a lot of time to like make friends or like, you know, you just never knew when it's like, Oh, it's time to move time to go. So you were trying to squeeze everything out of the orange kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. All the time exactly it was like so my impatience I think was built probably out of that kind of you know behavior. Scarcity. scarcity yeah it was like I just needed to do things all the time and it was just like okay yeah if I wanted to you know like go hang out with a friend I I wasn't like oh let's hang out in two weeks I was like how about tonight Like, what what are you doing tonight <laughs> what are you doing tonight you know um but the thing is that later, like, later in your career Were you able to harness that
0: and that made you very productive and which is why you got so much done?
1: Yes, yes, yes. So I think in my, the evolution of my urgency has become more purposeful, has Mm. become more intentional, Mm. you know, but that, that happened also because of Peter, you know, like that, that didn't exist before he died. Like for me, it was a moment of, gosh, so you can't just run around being reckless you know, with this impatience, like, this is not, I'm not just like out here, like, oh, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Let's do this. Let's do that. I want to do this job. I want to do that job. No, it's like, no, I got to be more intentional because I don't know how much time we have here, you know? And like, I want to do, I want to live the the width of life. And so mm-hmm. I want to get the things done that I actually want to get done. And so for me, like time wasting took on a new definition. And it's not necessarily even about speed, to be honest with you. Like, it's not, it really isn't that. It's like, how do I like focus on the thing I want? And I don't let anything get in the way of getting to that thing, you know, even if it takes me a year, even if it takes me three years. I'm like, just don't get distracted. Let me get to
0: a bunch of topics before we get out of here and a couple of questions that I see. Yeah. You and Peter get married. Mm-hmm. And then your parents' marriage falls apart yeah give what was the timing of that you and peter get married when, <laughs> immediately when the <laughs> next day, what well, were they waiting for you to get married
1: yeah pretty much i think they probably yeah. waited they were like oh let her get to the altar and then we're gonna tell her we're getting divorced like it was like that like it, it was it was almost exact yeah exactly congratulations at, like, was, the, we don't brunch, believe right? it right at the brunch right <laughs> Yeah, no, really. It was, it was basically like, congratulations on getting married. We don't believe in marriage anymore. So we're out of here. You know, it was like, wait, what? It was, it was such a shock to me, you know, but at the same time, like my parents hadn't been happy for a long time, you know? So and you, on and one you head, knew? I was like, huh? What was that? Oh knew? yeah, yeah. I knew. I knew. I knew. I think I think most kids who like, you know, have had parents who divorce, like, you know, they're not getting along. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know, what's interesting, Gary, is that later on in my marriage with Peter, um, there was a moment where, you know, I was like, hey, look, I am not happy in our marriage anymore. And him telling me that like, well, there are lots of people who are miserable in their marriages. That has not meant that they got divorced. Like, why can't we just figure it out? And I literally was so stunned because I was like, I don't even understand who, like, no, I don't, I don't <laughs> want logical. No, exactly. I was like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to be in a miserable marriage. I'm good. No, no, I don't, I don't need this for anybody's opinion, you know? And the thing is that like, I think so many of us maybe get stuck in situations, not just marriage or relationships, but all kinds of things work and all kinds of other things, because we've seen people do it who are just like, Oh, just stick it out. You know, it's like, why are you any better? Like you, you should suffer too. <laughs> it's like, why are we promoting a community and a culture of suffering? Let's let let let's talk
0: about ultimate suffering and like try to hit on a bunch of topics here. Yeah. You two, you lose your first pregnancy. Yes. Ultimate suffering. And then right behind that, you have your baby girl. Talk to us about that window.
1: Yes. Oh, well, when, um, when I was pregnant in my w- with my first pregnancy, um, I just didn't know. There wasn't a lot of conversation. And by the way, it's something that I am actively also trying to open as I talk about this book and in these conversations, because we don't I mean, now we talk a little bit more about maternal health, especially yeah. as the dangers to African American women. I think, you know, when Serena Williams almost died and her pregnancy and childbirth, it was like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. She's a very successful, very public, very, you know, wealthy Wealthy. black woman who has resources to the best medical care. And she also like, how is that possible? You know, but there just wasn't enough conversation around the dangers. And I just, I wasn't aware. And my doctor definitely wasn't listening to me, you know? Mm. And so um, when I had to go into labor because I had been diagnosed with preeclampsia, I was completely unaware and unprepared, you know, for any dangers. I just did not know, and so the grief of losing my child was compounded with again back to the same thing: guilt oh, t- over what I could have done better. Like, what should I have done? What should I have eaten? What should that, I have avoided? That, that strength of accountability
0: that serviced you well professionally, yeah, was beating you up
1: mentally. That's often. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. But what it also did was that it made me even more focused on like, okay, how do I how do I do this the right way? You know, which was not the healthiest approach. You know, it was like because again, like you said. Right. Right. Yeah. You just you just want to do things right. And and to that point, it's like that's not a healthy place to be when you think, oh, I've done all these things wrong. In the next one, I'm gonna do things right. It's like, what? And I learned that because also I developed preeclampsia again with lay you know, and this time, yes, I had already been through the experience one time. And so I knew the signs and what to look for, but Gary, my body was not behaving, you know, it was not doing what I thought it was supposed to be doing. And this time when, when I delivered, um, Thankfully, Lael survived the pregnancy, but she was in the NICU for a long time. There was a lot of touch and go moments. Um, but it's also, again, something that I'm just like, oh my gosh, I did this. You know, like I, I should be better. Like, why, why am I not a great mom enough to like take care of my body and therefore take care of my kid? It's like, it's just, it's such a such a difficult place to be.
0: Mm. Continuing the journey of difficult places to be, Peter then has his course in life play out. Yeah. are getting into more pain in your life. Obviously, Lael brings this dynamic that accelerates, you talk about in the book, you and Peter's separation Yeah, even more. And then Peter goes into his final weeks. Talk us through some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, Gary, the thing about um, thing about love is that it's so complicated.
0: <laughs> you know what I
1: mean? I almost want to laugh when I say that because it sounds so obvious, yeah. but it's so true. It's so complicated, you know? So yeah, yeah Peter and yeah. I were separated for about three years, actually. Um, the complication of it was that I didn't want to ask him for a divorce because I had asked for the separation and I wanted him to come along the journey with me and be like, okay, fine. We're getting to the end now, you know? I and um uh, it, uh, it was not the, the smartest strategy, but it was a strategy I had. Yep. And by the time he was diagnosed with cancer, he, he was actually in another relationship. Um, and so was I, so we were friends, you know? And so I had no problem being like, okay, let's figure this out together. You know, I'll take layout all the time so that you can manage this illness. Da, da, da. But by the time we found out that his cancer was terminal, um, he made the suggestion that we cancel the divorce and we reconcile. And for me, the, the, I decided to accept that not for him, not because he asked me to, you know, but for myself, Mm. like I felt that, um, you know, here is somebody who I had created a a real life with, you know, who um, I had known for a decade. or more than a decade we've been married for a decade and it again i think it comes back to that thought of like okay now after he's gone what do i say to myself you know what could i have done what could i have expressed and i think the main lesson that um i learned in our reconciliation was about real forgiveness Hmm. there's um were, you able, were you able to give, were you able to forgive yourself
0: um, because you know in any separation, yeah, there's real contributions from both sides for oh me. yes, you know oh, yeah, I mean? yeah, no yeah. matter
1: what it is, oh for sure, for sure, no, there are things that I wish I had done better for mm-hmm. sure you know that i've i hope I'm applying now, you know in, you, in do you, you you may be applying it, but do you feel like at this point, as
0: we sit here this evening, mm. um do you feel like you've forgiven yourself?
1: No, I don't think so. and do you see that so. as a, do you see that as the opportunity that I see? Yes, I do see that as the opportunity I do I do you know I think I think, I think someone again, powerful someone powerful enough to write this book
0: mm-hmm. that is going to help so many people has yeah. a huge opportunity to deploy some forgiveness on one's own self. Yes, I
1: I agree with you. I agree. And that is the the hard thing about uh being human. Yes. You know, is that like you can have all the logic you want to um but what happens in your heart sometimes is a totally different thing. You know, and I have a couple, and, um, I have, a
0: couple I have a couple more things God's voice is one hmm. um grief, but there's a question that came in that I have to ask cuz I'm scared we're going to run out of time. Yeah. Did you learn anything new about yourself after you finished writing
1: your mm. journal? Um I found <laughs> well, I found that I am more afraid of being vulnerable than I thought I was. Mm. You know, I thought I thought that like, oh look, I've shared so much, right? I've shared so much of myself on social media, in boardrooms, and like, you know, I'm the one out here mm-hmm. carrying the big stick and being brave. But
0: you were sharing what you were ready to sh- share, which is not the definition of vulnerability.
1: Right, 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 right. And what happened in this book writing is that, look, I didn't, actually didn't write the book I pitched. Mm. I, wrote, I wrote a different book. Like my, The book I pitched was a book about those last weeks of Peter's life. I took a picture every day, right, of like something that would inspire me or would be interesting because you know, people said to me all the time, take it one day at a time, take it one day at a time. And I hated that so much. (laughs) And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to take pictures and show people like what my days are like. And so the book I pitched was that it was going to be a, you know, an accounting of all of these moments. I still have the photo album in my phone, you know, but what happens is that when you start recalling those memories, other memories show up, Mm -hmm. you know? And so vulnerability for me was just like, I got some great advice, you know, from my editor. She was just like, just, she's like, if you're feeling something and you pull a right. string and something comes, just write it, write it anyway. You know, you can edit it later, just write it. And then it was like, all of the stuff was done. Yeah. And so I wrote it all. And at the end of the process, as I'm rereading it, I was just like, okay, I, I think I can share this. I think it's okay. And I promise you it is when I turned in that final draft, and like i'm I'm literally sitting on my couch, and now, by the way i've already I've left Netflix, I'm like, you know, kind of sitting, s- stewing <laughs> in my creative process, and I was just like, "Yo, what'd I do that for like what i what, I didn't even need to do that. Nobody asked me to do that. I could have been sitting right here doing nothing, and here I am smelling it all, so that's probably the thing I learned was that um, if I have you, a lot more fear in my vulnerability than I thought if you had a dream of this book going so viral that it just, everyone's
0: reading it. Mm -hmm. What are the one or two or three things that the masses are walking away from this? Yeah. Yeah. Either changing their perspective on or acting on that you Mm -hmm. would wish on those masses.
1: Yeah. I think the real, my real desire for the book is to, Well, one, I want, there's two things I want. One, I want to normalize imperfection. Yes. You know, I want to normalize that. Make people feel like, you know, the scars that you carry or not, they don't need to be hidden. They can be outside. It's okay. You know? And two is hope, really. You know, the hope. Like, the thing is, we say all these things, like carpe diem and seize the day and like all these like things that make you feel like, oh, yeah, you know, let me go get them things that you don't actually live your life like that okay you don't so how can we be more hopeful about instead of looking at death as like this morbid terrible thing but it's actually an inspiration you know to live life even more fully to be excited about it and not just because like you're gonna freaking climb out Everest and do all these big things but like yeah like we were saying in the beginning because you want to live like your life in a way that makes you happy and satisfied yeah. You know, yeah. and it doesn't have to be that you live to 95 to feel like, oh, I've done something because the years are not an accomplishment. No, the death is an accomplishment, you know, and so that's what I'm hopeful for.
0: It's the perfect way to end this, Bose. I could really do yeah. this for like 17 more hours. I don't know how people are feeling on the other side. <laughs> that is not in the cards tonight, but maybe over the next 50 years together. I oh, just want exactly. to thank you. I want to thank Bose St. John the author of The Urgent Life, My Story of Love, Loss, and Survival. Um, if you'd like to watch more programs or support the Commonwealth Club's effort in making virtual and in-person programming, please visit commonwealthclub.org slash events. I'm Gary Vaynerchuk. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast of Inforum from the Commonwealth Club of California. Support our podcast and find out about upcoming live or online events at commonwealthclub.org slash inform and join us again soon for another podcast from inform. You never know who you'll meet.